The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to a packed edition of Media Talk. On this week's show, we ask where next for the BBC after Lord Patton steps down after major heart surgery. Plus, a tale of two Jeremys, as Paxman calls it, quits on Newsnight, but Clarkson clings on at Top Gear. And the Yanks are coming as Viacom buys Channel 5 and Super Indy All Free Media is sold to Discovery and Liberty Global. We also run the rule over Channel 4's annual results and Vicky Frost is back. All this on Media Talk from The Guardian. And joining me this week are the Director of Broadcasting at City University, Liz Howell, and Matt Deegan from Folder Media, owner of the Fun Kids Digital Radio Station, among many other things. Welcome both. Hello. And Matt, perhaps I should have said the the Archiva Award-nominated Fun Kids. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you very much. Yes, we're up for Best Station uh, against uh, Gem 106 from the East Midlands and small local station LBC. Right, right. (laughs) So it's the uh, the LBC Award, right? Uh, It's the Kids versus the Deputy Prime Minister. That's that's the plan. But we're very happy and the team are are obviously ecstatic that we've been nominated for Best Station. Excellent. Congratulations. And Liz, uh, you have the look of a woman who's still on her sabbatical. Yes, I am. But I have uh, achieved my results of my research and had a conference to announce them and it was very interesting and got lots of attention and I was quite excited by that. It was quite depressing though, it showed that uh, there were four times as many male experts on news programmes, flagship news programmes as women and it doesn't seem to be getting very much better so, you well, know, not on media good and bad list. news, <laughs> definitely well, not. Excellent. Now, here's a phrase you don't often hear on Media Talk. We start this week with the BBC, which was thrown into uncertainty after the unexpected departure of Lord Patton from the BBC Trust. The former Tory MP and last Governor of Hong Kong stood down for health reasons after major heart surgery. Not entirely sure as a listener, but, well, we wish him all the best. It comes at a tricky time for the BBC, which needs a heavy hitter to make its case in the run-up to charter renewal and with the future of the licence fee uncertain. Now, we're joined for this part of the show by Labour MP and former Culture Secretary Ben Bradshaw. Ben, hello. Hello there. And you're also, of course, a member of John Whittingdale's uh, House of Commons Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee. Um, Indeed. Now, before we talk about who might succeed him, I think it's fair to say that this sort of upheaval is is really the last thing the BBC needs right now. Yes, I, I mean, it is unfortunate because I think Lord Patton, as you said, was a, was a, was a big hitter. He was a big beast. He had come into the corporation at a difficult time. He'd had an uneasy beginning uh, with the loss of his first director general uh, in the Savile affair, George Entwistle. But I think he'd steadied the ship uh, since then. Uh, he made a good appointment in Tony Hall as director general and, and, and under Tony, a new team of, of senior managers. And, and I get the feeling that the BBC was was set on, on a stronger path towards uh, charge renewal in 2017. So, so this is a loss for the BBC and I think quite a challenge for, for the government, uh, my successor as culture secretary, to, to choose the right person to steer the corporation to 2017 and charter renewal and possibly beyond in, in, a, in a reformed and under a new government structure. Liz, Liz, what do you make of where this leaves the BBC? I think this is a really interesting development because Diana Coyle has stepped in. She was the um, 
vice chair and is doing a good job there. I think somebody said she was holding the fort very well, etc. But it does make me wonder if perhaps that will be where it is left for some time because there are such big question marks over the trust itself that this could be an opportunity to actually reform the BBC or put the BBC on a trajectory to reform itself prior to charter renewal. So I think it's really interesting. Also, I'd like to ask Ben a question. Um, John Whittingdale said that he would be, or that the committee rather, would be interviewing possible candidates for the chair role if uh, this does go ahead. As There's no reason, I suppose, other than speculation to think it won't. But isn't that a very unusual development? Has that, is that the way it's been done before? No, I, I mean, I, think, I don't think interviewing is, interviewing is quite the right term to use. Uh, but, but select committees in recent years have taken on more powers to... They, it's basically, it's, it's a pre-appointment hearing. We've just done exactly that with, with Patricia Hodgson, Hodgson before she took up the post at Ofcom. Mm-hmm. We don't have the power, obviously, to, to make an appointment or stop an appointment. But it's become a, it's become a convention that uh, for all of these uh, public positions, uh, not just in broadcasting, but across the piece in Quangos and so forth, that select committees do often uh, interview uh, potential candidates before they're formally appointed. Ben, you, you've warned uh, the government against making a, a politicised appointment or what you call a, a, a Tory stooge. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's very likely. I hope it's not very likely. But I think what concerns me is that at this stage, last time uh, during charter renewal, the then Labour government had done a lot more preparation. We had already embarked, for example, on a pretty comprehensive series of consultative events involving the public and other interested parties. Lord Burns, Terry Burns, had undertaken this big review of governance and was making recommendations. And what slightly concerns me is that the government now are leaving it rather late. And I think what that could do is it could stoke fears of a hidden agenda were the Conservatives to win a majority at the next election. There there are quite a few uh, Conservative MPs who don't make any beef of the fact that they don't really like the BBC, they don't like its public service remit, uh, they think it's too big, uh, they given the, given the chance, they'd like to cut it to the bone. So I think we do need someone who can stand up to that, but at the same time accept that the BBC needs to change and the governance structure in partic- particular is not fit for purpose. Yes, I did some work looking at the uh, the last charter renewal and the sequence of events up to it, and it was a completely different atmosphere. There was far more, sort of almost frenzied activity. The BBC had all these work streams projects going on, looking at how they were going to cope with uh, claiming what they wanted for the Charter. The government was looking at that. It all started a lot earlier. There was much more excitement and interest around this time. There is a strange sort of feeling that it might just slip under the under the radar. I don't think that will happen now, and I think your committee is one reason why it won't happen. But there was that concern, and I, I agree entirely. There's a different atmosphere around now. I think the danger with, the danger with leaving it late, uh, or kind of not doing much in public, is that you know there are big issues out there about the future of the licence fee, and and, and the governance of the BBC, uh, which belongs to the public. And if the public feel excluded from these debates, all sorts of hairs can then get running. I think it's much better to have a... To ha- I mean, I still think there are very strong arguments for funding by the licence fee uh, and for the BBC more or less as, as it currently exists. But we need to have those arguments out in public so that there's public support and political support for whatever the government decides to do. And Matt, what do you make of the uh, the, the Patton legacy? His, his big hit was um, was curbing senior pay, uh, which he did when he when he first got the job. But his big miss, I suppose, was was the appointment of George Entwistle, which is the, the the chairman's major role is to appoint 
a decent chief executive, and he, he got that one badly wrong. Uh, which, which then I guess he fixed with the, with the second appointment. I think, like anything, uh, it's events, dear boy, isn't it? With the BBC, it's like constantly uh, new things pop up with an organisation that size. Uh, I think what's interesting is uh, in the last licence fee settlement, the BBC was saddled with a lot of surprises, uh, particularly things like World Service and, and S4C. There's a big desire from the Conservative government probably to shift more more traditionally government spending into the BBC. You need a strong team there who can um, argue for licence fee payers. And I think this this probably does play into the Conservatives' hands. And Ben, what do you think? Uh, who's going to succeed him? Will it be the, the, the early money's gone on uh, Sir Howard Stringer, the former Sony boss, but there's been talk about maybe the first female uh, chairman. Could be Marjorie Scardino or maybe more realistically uh, Colette Bow, uh, formerly of Ofcom. What, what do you think? Well, there are lots of potentially very good candidates out there. And if you'll forgive me, I don't want to ruin any of their prospects by tipping any of them. <laughs> no, I mean, you've named some of them. There are others as well. Terry Burns is one. I mean, he, he actually did the review, did all the work last time. So in a way, he knows what to do. And, in, and what's interesting is many of the recommendations he made 10 years ago have been proved right. Don't forget, at the time, Tessa Jowell and the government ignored one of his central recommendations, which was to reform the governance structure. But uh, there's been been widespread support uh, for his model in the evidence given so far to our select committee in our inquiry. But there are plenty of good candidates. I think what's going to be the interesting thing and challenging for the government is do they appoint someone or do they try to appoint someone just to take the BBC up to charter renewal in 27 and then to leave a reformed governance structure and then for them to go? Or do they appoint someone with the prospect of their then moving from uh, interim chairman of the trust or chair of the trust into a new position as chairman of a unified board, uh, which is basically the government solution that most people seem to favour. I think that's the thing that they need to think very carefully about uh, and talk to the BBC about as well as to what, what would be the best thing to do. And interesting, I asked, I asked Terry Burns at the Channel, Channel for One Year Report today saying, um, would you be interested in the job? He said it wasn't really one of his ambitions to uh, left to, to, to lead the trust, but at the same time, it didn't entirely... Uh, uh, negate the idea. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, Liz, last word to you. Well, I just think the, gov- the government might well use this opportunity to do very much what Ben's just been saying and put somebody in as an interim person until the charter renewal and then insist on, on a new form of government's governance after that. And this is the ideal opportunity for them to do that. OK, watch this space. Well, Ben Bradshaw, thanks very much. Moving on, there are two big TV deals to talk about this week, and I'm not talking about the 72-inch flat screen my neighbours just bought. Rich- Thank you very much. Richard Desmond found a buyer for Channel 5. MTV owner Viacom spending £450 million on Britain's fifth channel. Not a bad profit for the owner of the Daily Express and Daily Star, who spent just over £100 million on it four years ago. Liz, my question for you. What is Viacom going to do with Channel 5? I have no idea, but it's going to be very interesting to Next watch, question. isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's going to be fascinating stuff, yes. Yeah, but it, it's also very different to have an out-and-out American owner of a, of a British domestic channel. That's going to be an interesting move. I mean, as you say, the Yanks are coming and uh, not the other way around, as we always hear, you know, the Brits are coming. It's not the case. So let's see what happens. I think it could be very interesting. Matt, I ask you the same question in the search of a different answer. <laughs> I think what have I come going to do with Channel 5? Well, there's two interesting things. One, they obviously have a lot of programme material that they can uh, put onto the channel, uh, potentially uh, uh, reduce cost to what an external would pay for it, which is interesting. Uh, the other bit is what they do with sales. So um, a lot of their current channels are with Sky Media uh, and provide a good bulk of, of, of Sky Media's audience. Um, channel 5 sales team has seemingly done a good job recently. Do they pull their channels out of Sky and really focus on the Channel 5 sales team repping them too? Or do they move the whole lot into Sky, which makes Sky a very strong and dominant player uh, in that market. 
which has implications for, for Channel 4, uh, not least in terms of advertising, but in terms of, you know, audience. And probably for ITV, back to CRR, and uh, wanting that change, suddenly it changes the market again. I think it's certainly going to be another and different player, and that is going to change the, the landscape quite a lot, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, would someone like MTV, would they use it as a platform to sort of encourage people then to subscribe to some of its pay channels, or do you have it as, as an entirely standalone business? Or? There's no such thing as an entirely standalone business, is there? I mean, they could easily use this as a, bar- as a Barker channel, and that would be interesting to see if that works. Think of all the reality shows we can get with sort of bronzed idiots, <laughs> with due respect. Well, we're all bronzed idiots. No one can see no. us. Let's say we are. I haven't got a tan. But uh, I qualify for the rest. Uh, and the other question is, um, Channel 5's biggest show, which uh, kind of single-handedly turned its fortunes around, was Big Brother, of course, which mm-hmm. is uh, up for renewal next year. So that'll be another uh, interesting thing, whether they splash the cash or whether Viacom reckon they can go it alone. I mean, I think clearly it's worked for them. It's generated the, the it's a, a lot of money to spend, but it's generated the revenue uh, and helped the channel uh, fix itself. It's I think it made the channel's value, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. That's why it's sold for as much as it has. And the other big deal I mentioned this week was uh, concerns all three media uh, makers of Midsummer Murders, of course, which was bought by Discovery Communications, once linked to Channel 5, in a £500 million joint deal with Liberty Global. All three media has been on the block for some time, uh, and as well as uh, my favourite murder mystery show, uh, Make Skins, which I've never seen, far too young, and all sorts of things like Only Ways Essex, uh, far too young, uh, Pete Show and Darren Brown. Uh, it's not a list of my favourite TV shows. But Liz, as you hinted there, there's a common theme, which is both went to American companies, mm-hmm. and it's been long talked about about uh, uh, US companies buying up UK media assets, and you know some people have been a bit fearful of it. And now it seems it might finally be happening. Is it a, is it a trend, or is it just a coincidence? Well, I think it's probably a coincidence that... Initially, but there's probably a trend there, and why not? I mean, I have absolutely no problem with them them doing it if they keep the jobs, keep the creativity, put the money in. Why not? I think it probably would work. All three media is interesting because they have been disappointed with the the money that they managed to recoup on this. They wanted more, and they wanted something like they wanted seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, million, and so this is quite, quite a drop, but they are going to take this and and live with this particular offer. So perhaps they know that this is the best they're going to get, and that in itself is quite interesting because if it was a trend, they'd wait, wouldn't they? they and there would be more Americans coming, and they could possibly get a better price but they're going with this one so I think that this is probably the last of this sort of thing that we'll see can't be sure though and also we're seeing at the same time ITV making acquisitions uh, in in the US uh, and building up their production division other in other parts of the world you see you can't argue with what what America's got it's got 260 million people speak the same language it is going to make more and better television and if we're on the periphery of that it's better than not being on the periphery of that and here's a question, Liz, possibly for your students at City, uh, which is, all three media is worth £500 million, Channel 5 is worth £450 million. What does that tell us about the respective values of you know, broadcast spectrum and, and content? Yeah, well, broadcast... In 3,000 words. Yeah, is it, is it as good as it's made out to be? Yeah, and that lots and lots of people are putting their money into local television and going for broadcasting at that level. So there's something in it, isn't there? Maybe. Broadcasting has got a value, but... Going back to that Viacom discussion, uh, yeah, they're a, a huge content operator. Uh, and what's a, what's a channel? It's a packager. Um, traditionally, we've had um, channels creating content, but now that's moved to, to indies doing that. Uh, maybe interesting? maybe it's not, going those two ways. But they're not going to put it on on a website and they're not going to do it as a sort of Netflix option. They still want to mm. broadcast it. I find that absolutely fascinating. OK, well, next up, it seems like only two weeks since I was asking whether the BBC should sack Jeremy Clarkson. It's a question that won't go away after revelations about his mumbled N-word outtakes, which prompted an apology of sorts from the presenter and the BBC, by all accounts, to give him a final, final warning. Also this week, media regulator Ofcom confirmed it was investigating complaints about his use of the word slope on the Top Gear Burma special. If he didn't know it was an offensive term, he certainly does now. Matt, what, what do you make of it? Is he sort of a joke that's gone too far or is he just too valuable to the BBC in terms of the amount of money that Top Gear makes uh, well, for its commercial arm to, to, to ever get rid of him? For BBC Worldwide, Top Gear is a, a major export 
I think they would be gutted beyond belief if uh, that show came to an end or that brand came to an end and does it does it revolve around him yes it probably does my take on some of the things he said oh, watching that video clip it was a thing that was easy to jump on it was a thing that was mumbled on purpose and then wasn't put in the program it, I mean there are going to be journalists uh, the male sitting in the in the newsroom watching every episode of Top Gear and looking at whatever could be the thing that they can say wow that's your your latest gaffe that was your final warning out 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 but it means that he, he can get away with it. And this is what's so really interesting. And, and the research that I've been doing about the breakdown of the people who appear on, B, on BBC programmes, particularly in, on news programmes, shows that there is this dominance of a certain type of man, of a certain type of background. It is the, the Jeremy syndrome, if you like. If you've got the four um, male experts to every female expert, you've got twice as many male presenters as female presenters. You've got three times as many male reporters as female reporters. There's no excuse for that because the broadcasters have control. They can employ people in more egalitarian numbers but they don't and what you've got is this boys will be boys atmosphere on television and very much so on radio where they get away with it because they get the elusive audience of the of the young men who are usually out on the piss or on the pole so when you can get them to watch the show it makes your show very valuable so it's not just that Clarkson's quite popular it's, it's that he is the key to this very elusive audience and what a terrifying I think thought it, it is a terrifying it is absolutely a terrifying thought because he, it means that these people have absolutely disproportionate power and it's going to be very interesting to see what they do about it because right now at the moment it's like nothing but surely it's wrong people can control themselves and front of a microphone that's their job it was not a nice thing to do and I kind of think the key will be when a black or Asian face turns up as the star in the reasonably priced car and you know what, what if what if he or she chooses to challenge Clarkson about the incident what happens next mm. will that happen I don't know but it could do it could be that they have to um, as it were even things out in a different way from here on in but you know we are ruled by these boys will be boys type people and it's in my view it's not a good thing and uh, just a quick mention of the other BBC Jeremy, Jeremy Paxman, who said last week he was leaving Newsnight after 25 years. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's a giant of broadcasting, but I have a hunch that it could be the best thing ever to happen to the programme. What do you think, Matt? I think Newsnight's had a good six months with Ian Katz's changes. I think it's good to broaden the show. He's obviously a big pull, he's interesting, but he also looks a bit bored doing it and has been doing it for a long time. Um, change is as good as a rest he'll pop up on other things maybe it was uh, the response from the radio one and one extra team after he dismissed one extra uh, in, in a in a comment the other day that he's just worried about what the ninth floor or eighth floor will come down and uh, and say to him <laughs> Well, your thoughts on also who should replace him? Well, I think it's really interesting because Clarkson and Paxman are sort of similar, actually. They look a bit similar. They're similar sort of background, similar sort of culture. It's really quite interesting. When you say it's a tale of two Jeremys, I mean, I wrote a piece with exactly that name, and it, it, that's what it's about, you know, these sorts of people who dominate in this way. Maybe they swap. Maybe they could swap. Oh, well, quite. Swap. Can we really tell the Clarkson. difference? Yeah. Perhaps that's a bit silly. But, you know, they are very, very similar people, similar types to look at and to sound and sounding like the same sort of thing, same cultural background, yada, yada. But if Paxman's going to go, who is going to take over? That's going to be very interesting. And I know what you're saying about Ian Katz. It's been a lot livelier, but it's also sometimes been a bit silly. And I, they're going to have to find a way of making Newsnight really lively and exciting and getting a presenter that can handle that, but who's not got the Paxman real serious gravitas thing going on at the same time. Occasionally, I think Paxman's looked a bit embarrassed with some of the lines he's had to deliver, particularly in the trailers. Yeah, th- and he didn't have to do the thriller dance. See, uh, so, uh, like uh, this, is where, this is where I disagree, I think, for a um, programme like Newsnight to not just be news that you can see on a news channel or uh, on, on a, another service. It, it needs its own identity, and, yeah, it's, and, and it's daily, and it's, and it's got to be there. I think the, the person that should probably get that job is Eddie Mayer. 
I think he's a great presenter and has a certain whimsy about him as well that makes it you makes see this is where I would differ from you I don't think whimsy in news work and I don't like the facetious element it makes me very uncomfortable well, so it's one, one each so if, if not Eddie Mayer so go on give us a name oh I think it should be a woman definitely yeah because in fact now now that Paxman's gone isn't every, every presenter could be Michelle Hussein she'd be really so, good yeah. at that yeah and well, she could do civilization at the same time and save them loads of money Eddie Mayer come on next week and tell us why it should be you right more after this Now it's time to talk Channel 4, which published its annual results this week. Here's the top lines, in case you somehow conspired to miss them. It lost £15 million in 2013, down from £29 million the year before. But senior execs, including Jay Hunt, missed out on big bonuses, they just got small ones instead, after it fell short of audience targets. What were its audience figures, you ask? Well, the main channel's all-day share fell to a record low of 6.1%, with its total share across all channels, including More 4, Film 4... 444, also down from 115 to 11%. Liz, what's your your health check on Channel 4? Well, it's sort of okay, isn't it, to get motors along? I think what is interesting is that they say that they've made their targets too harsh for their executives. It's almost like, we're going to take the money off you, but hey, a bit mean of us, isn't it? You know, I thought that was quite funny. Also, the way that they measure it, and they measure the target audiences and the day parts and so on, is perhaps something that they they could look at. But I I don't see it as a very big change, to be honest. And They certainly don't seem to be very put out. There's no sort of um, tears at the uh, results meeting, was there? They were just quite confident. Felt like, yeah, there wasn't any sort of really big narrative this year. Um, But, I mean, Matt, the, the key figure that stood out was that record low share for, for the main channel but it did feel over the last 12 months kind of feels like it's turned a corner with you know shows like Benefit Street and Gogglebox and the jump and you know it's not quite it was in the doldrums for a while wasn't it it was kind of a bit of a cloud over Channel 4 for a mm. while which well, feels like it's lifted a bit well it needed um, creative renewal again post Big Brother and it, it takes a few years to find enough hours to fill what previously Big Brother covered and I think they've sort of got there maybe they could, should replace the idea of looking at share with just looking at what Gogglebox uh, contestants viewers are really think of the channel maybe that's, that's the new metric I think it's, it's, absolutely, it's great though, isn't it? Because it has gone back to the slightly sort of edgy programmes, the sort of pre-Big Brother Channel 4. And I think that they're, they're very confident and comfortable with that now. And I think that also it's been interesting to see that they've re-engaged in sport um, of a whole variety of different things pr- pretty much kicked off from the, the Paralympics. Uh, and I, I think that's interesting. Well, that's, that's the good other thing, isn't it? Because they had the Paralympics, they did have this artificial blip, really. And so they've had to compensate for that, I think. But... The, that all-time low share is driven by very, very strong multi-channel competition, uh, whether that's Sky Atlantics from, from one area or the E! MTV star reality shows you're a big fan of, uh, the other end. Um, yeah. it, is, it is a competitive marketplace. It is hard to stick around. Are they going to be worried about Channel 5? This is going to be really interesting because yeah. they've never had to worry about Channel 5 before. And that might drive, drive them back to their core ethos of being on, on the edge, the indie channel that makes the sort of edgier programmes. Well, if Viacom aren't interested, perhaps they'll get Big Brother back. Yeah, they could do, yeah, couldn't they? Yeah. They could do a swap there. No, I don't think they would ever want to do that again, actually. Though also, it's interesting, the TV show that was announced uh, today, uh, the marriage-based one, where basically it's the old radio idea of two strangers in a wedding yeah. uh, putting people together. There was a great line in, in I think, in your story today, which said, um, uh, social experiment. And they always use the phrase social experiment in the first series to justify a slightly crazy antic, which they did with Big Brother originally. Before it just becomes a mainstream yeah, smash, they don't have to worry about it anymore. And it justifies itself. Yes, this is the show where they're going to get 200 volunteers and they're going to pluck six strangers who will then um, uh, get married. Proper legal marriage. That's right, and and meet each other for the very first time uh, as they walk down the aisle in front of their friends and family. And uh, they're going to be encouraged to, to stay together for at least six weeks while every. But who's going to pay recorded. for the divorce? I mean, and it's a very straightforward question. Is that built into the programming I, costs? That'd I, be bet, really I bet funny. it is. I bet it is. A thing of beauty. 
but as you say, yes, it was done back on uh, in 1999 on BRMB, Two Strangers in a Wedding, hosted by Jeremy Kyle. Uh, who, who later went on to, to, to marry. marry the person who he matchmade. A beautiful story. <laughs> that, these that, that these really Jeremys, could be, these Jeremys, oh, there's no stopping them, is there? That really yeah. could be a next on Jeremy Kyle's story as well. <laughs> Jeremy, if you're listening, you come on too next week. Right, uh, but time to talk radio, because frankly we should, because Mr Matt Diggins here. And the BBC launched a brand new radio station this week. Uh, it's a pop-up radio station on digital. A Radio 2 offshoot all about the Eurovision Song Contest. Matt, what the hell is this about? This is, this is brilliant. This is exactly uh, what digital radio is for, whether it's DAB or the internet or, or mobile through BBC iPlayer radio app. Um, the idea to go to an event and do something more with it. So it's four days, it's covering the semi-finals, it's replaying old documentaries about Eurovision, it's got some new uh, presenter-led shows on there. And also, as I understand it, there is only one extra member of staff uh, doing it who's been sent to uh, wherever the Eurovision Song Contest is this year. Norway? Probably. Um, <laughs> Somewhere in Europe. But that's great as well. It's using the BBC's uh, resources and skills and talent and rights uh, to do something fun. And it's nice that it can kind of pop up and appear there for four days. It's a great idea to have like pop up radio yeah, and just take a theme for a while and go and, for it. And it happens in other countries as well. So ABC in Australia have been a big proponent of this across all the digital platforms. And it, it's, it's fun for radio listeners. It's fun to have something that, that pops up. And it's nice. It's associated with Radio 2. So it's um, got good cross promotion. So it's not not just this thing which appears it's got cross promotes uh, from Terry Wogan and, and from where it, it sort of plays into the other things we've been talking about it, it is it's about broadcasting it's mm. about actual live broadcasting that, that you're not as a listener absolutely sure what's coming and there's just something exciting and interesting there it's not about pre-recorded material that you choose and so you have to retune your digital radio to get it? Does if you've got, it appear if you've got, magically? If you've got a more modern digital radio, uh, it will generally just appear if you've listened to any BBC radio station. Um, if not, press auto-tune and it will pop up. It's very clear on the website how to get it. I might even try. I wish I could say I'd join you, Liz. <laughs> but anyway, no, good luck to uh, Radio 2 uh, Eurovision. Fantastic. And good luck to uh, Britain's Entry. Who is? Yeah, Very yeah, successful. Me, me, me neither. Um, but also what's interesting, she uh, came through BBC Introducing, so it's actually quite nice. Uh, our entry is a up-and-coming um, star. As opposed to? An old Exactly, star. yeah. Right, OK, time now for Media Monkey Quiz. Oh, no. Um, the first question is, who's representing Britain? No, it's not. It is. <laughs> Who shouldn't have had a threesome at tea time? Oh, what's his name? Kirk, Kirk, uh, uh, oh, th- th- two, two and a half men. Three, three and a half Ashton men. Ashton Kutcher. Well, <laughs> it may well have been three and a half men, but yeah, at, at that time. But yeah, two and a half men. <laughs> Uh, you went out on Paramount UK uh, channel at half past six, which uh, media regulator Ofcom said was entirely inappropriate. Uh, unfortunately, I missed it. Uh, question number two. Who's finding, oh, there's a bit of a theme to this week's uh, monkey quiz. Who's finding all the sex in Coronation Street a bit of a turn-off? Hilda. Hilda. Played by uh, for the full point. Uh, I can't do it, I can't uh, do it. Okay. I can see her now, though. Jean, Ale- Jean Alexander. Jean Alexander, yeah. Sorry she about says that. Uh, too many stories uh, on the street about who's jumping into whose bed. Uh, the humour's all gone out of it, she said. Uh, are you Corrie fans? Did she, well, say, did she say that whilst wearing some hair curlers at the same time? <laughs> I think she did. And someone else said, oh, I don't really know. <laughs> but I, no, I, I've got a really serious point to make about this. When Corrie started, what? it was a really gritty sort of... It wasn't so much a soap opera. It was a really gritty thing that working class people in the North of England really related to. And the pastiche element spoiled it for me. And I think, yeah, let's get back to the grit. I have watched the last episode and there wasn't that much jumping in and out of bed, I didn't think, anyway. So, yeah, let's see Corrie go back to its roots. And question number three, why will you no longer see Jake Humphreys with a microphone nattering outside Premier League football grounds? Uh, they've had some trouble with the with the swearing. I think the, the fans are having too much fun seeing Jake Humphrey in front of them and causing quite a lot of trouble for the, the, the bleep button. 
Yeah, there's unruly Arsenal fans uh, at an FA Cup match um, earlier this year. Uh, could be heard chanting, and there were eight instances of a particularly, particularly appalling expletive were, were clearly audible on the on the BT Sport channel. Uh, but no longer he's going to be in. I think he's going to be in a sealed box now. They've borrowed the sex box from Channel Four, <laughs> so there's no is chance. He by himself, <laughs> they've got the detergent out. There's no chance. Uh, just be him alone in the sex box. Uh, right. Well, that's it. And I think probably. Uh, hang on. Look, Matt's holding up his fingers. And no, <laughs> you filthy boy. No, it's two one. So oh. two points to Matt Deegan, one point uh, to Liz Howell. Matt, congratulations. Thanks very much. The voucher, it's not fair. Vouchers in the post. Uh, my thanks, as ever, to Matt Deegan and Liz Howell. And it's time to talk TV now, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the pod. It's Vicky Frost. Hello, hello. You've been, you, you decided that you'd taken enough and you went as far away as it is possible to go from this podcast. I really needed to get away from you, John. Yes, I did. So I went away for a year. To Australia. To Australia to uh, do Guardian Oz. And now I am back. Great. Good time. What was the TV like down there? Because we've had my closest experience of uh, Australian television, apart from Neighbours and Home Away, of course, uh, was The Slap, which was a big hit. You'll remember over here a couple of years ago on BBC Four. Uh, yes, of course. And Christos uh, Cholkas has a new book out, Barracuda, which is very good. Uh, I really enjoyed some quarters. I think there's going to be more Aussie stuff turning up on uh, BBC Four and uh, you know homes of uh, foreign drama uh, to come. You know, some talk of it being the new uh, sort of Scandi drama. But, Australian uh, drama being the new Scandi drama, but, but without the subtitles. Excuse me if I raise an eyebrow at that. <laughs> I'm aiming high with that description. Aren't I? <laughs> Very high. I mean, I think you know Australian uh, television does have high notes, but they're fairly far between. A bit like my clarinet. <laughs> But that's enough of my musicianship. Uh, let's uh, let's kick off with a big uh, TV event of the weekend. Uh, radio 2 are doing a whole radio station about it. Uh, but if you can't get your wireless, you can watch it on BBC One. It is, of course. Eurovision. Yes. Oh, I don't know why I'd want to listen to it rather than watch it, to be honest, because half of the joy of Eurovision... I don't know why you want to watch it. ...is this, <laughs> is this bonkersness, you know? I think if you can't see the costumes and the glitz, you're, I mean, if you're actually sitting at home really listening to the music, you are slightly missing the point of Eurovision, if we're honest. Who, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Well, apparently the uh, the favourites are Sweden, but I listened to that song and it's really quite boring. It just sort of goes on a bit. It's nice, it goes on a bit. The Netherlands have got sort of a song that's like a bit Fleetwood Mackey that I quite like, actually, in a... You know, if I had to pick a song out of Eurovision kind of way. Sort of Rumours era or more Tango in the Night? Uh, more Rumours, I think. Right. Yes, yes. Which I don't mind. Um, Denmark have got the... <laughs> it's awful. So this year's Eurovision is in Copenhagen. And it's like Denmark are really going all out to make sure it's not in Copenhagen again next year. It's kind of like a really, really bad uh, Michael Buble kind of horror thing. Because you can't do it more than once because it nearly bankrupted uh, Dublin, didn't it? Exactly. So, you know, exactly. So, it's going to be in Denmark. Does that mean there's going to be a murder? Well, exactly. It's like all my favourite things in one place, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Britain has uh, not a terrible entry. Uh, It's Molly. Yes, we couldn't remember her name earlier. Molly. Molly. No, her name is actually better than that. Her name is Molly Smitten Downs, which makes her sound like she should live in Downton Abbey. It's like we're kind of going for that vote, basically. And she has power to uh, this Children of the Universe thing. Which which is fine. It's got quite a lot of people going O oh, in it, which you know is jolly enough. I think I think it's fine. It's meant it's meant to not disgrace us. And um, <laughs> I still we can aim but for. But that's what they say every year, isn't it? But that is all we can aim for, really. Um, Twenty four points. France's entry is quite odd. 
Doesn't the odd stuff win? You know, isn't it sort of the crazy heavy metal guys? That was a few years ago, I know, but uh... well, maybe it's um, it's a song about mustaches, which I think is sort of very behind the curve. You know, we've already reached peak beard. A song about mustaches is not the thing to win, but just maybe. lip service. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's the Austrian entry. Um, of course, there is. <laughs> Uh, which has been so controversial, of course. Has it? Uh, yes, because it's um, the singer performers uh, is Jeremy Clarkson's doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Thomas Newworth, and uh, who is uh, performing in his drag persona of Conchita Worst. And of course, uh, there's been this big outcry from Russia about how uh, that's going to turn Eurovision into a hotbed of sodomy, which is a pretty good name for a band, actually. I would think maybe that'll appear next year. Excellent. Well, I, I can't wait. I tell you, the, the days of the Eurovision party have long gone from the Plunkett household. Really? It goes on and on, doesn't it? Well, it does go on and on, but that's why you need to have a party, because otherwise, I mean, you know, there's only one way, really, to deal with it, and that is drunkenness. Yeah, it's no fun on your own. Drink sensibly, everybody. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, bleak house for you this weekend. Yeah, then, so, yeah. yeah. I'll be watching Cheers repeats from Series 4. <laughs> I tell you what, At the time, I thought it was just funny, but now looking back, Diane's pursuit of Sam... Yeah trying to convince him to marry is quite got dark overtones I... leave the man alone <laughs> reminded me of a later start... incident in my life which went horribly pear-shaped <laughs> maybe you could start your own sort of recap blog for uh, cheers fans minute by minute tweeting of cheers episodes <laughs> and it turns out i'm older than cliff the postman i'm six years older than cliff clavin in know, series four of cheers it's just awful that is the awful thing though about re-watching sort of things from your youth basically is you realise you're older than the people, characters in them who you thought were 100 years old. He's only 37. Oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, I did myself a disservice. I'm only five years old. Anyway, it's still got it. So that's enough Eurovision. Yeah. Uh, now, we touched on this a little while ago, Megan, but Happy Valley has made a big, big impression of you since you since you got back from, uh, from, from Australia. Aust- well, what I like to do when I get back from Australia is just head uh, straight for the most uh, sort of grim, gloomy-looking British drama I can uh, find. BBC One's your channel. <laughs> so I went for Happy Valley, which is um, written by Sally Wainwright. I mean, that's actually why I wanted to watch it, because Sally Wainwright is such a fantastic writer. And um, it stars Sarah Lancashire, who I am very rarely convinced by, actually. And I quite like her in this uh, as a cop. And really nice written, quite grim and unrelenting. Yeah, but I don't know, it's sort of that. And then there's Prey on ITV as well. The great Zip John Sim. Yeah, and then there's Hinterland on uh, BBC Four, which I quite enjoyed. I've only seen the first one so far, uh, but I quite enjoyed. All detective um, dramas, that's what you're telling me. Yeah, cops basically, isn't yeah. it? None of them sunny and blue skies, no, I don't I'll tell you what, either. I gave Hinterland two minutes. Did you? I just, you know, he came across and he walked into the house and there's a dead body and I just, I just hit, hit stop and I pressed play on Cheers. You know, I just, I think I've, I've taken enough, I've taken enough misery. <laughs> John, you I know? think this is more about your mental state it than is. it is about television. Well, the wanking Michael gave lookalike on the, <laughs> on the second series of The Bridge. I think that was it. I've reached peak death. <laughs> well, I do wonder actually whether we will uh, reach uh, peak cop drama. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it seems to be what British telly is doing very well at the moment. And that's fantastic. It's my sort of thing. But perhaps there is too much. What I did like about Hinterland is um, I thought it was sort of quite uh, a bit of a nod and a wink from BBC Four to have a subtitle drama, a subtitle detective drama that looks like Hinterland looks uh, and the subtitle language be Welsh in it. I sort of thought was, I thought it was quite funny. I thought it was quite smart. But you recommend it? Yeah, I do. I liked it, actually. It's a good thing. 
So for the first time since 2013, Vicky Frost, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for this week. My thanks to all our guests who were Liz Howell, Matt Deegan, Ben Bradshaw and, of course, Vicky Frost. You can leave your comments on our blog or tweet me at johnplunkett149. And on that note, a special hello to Hadley Allchurch. And not just because she tweeted to say Media Talk should be mandatory listening for anyone working in the media. Hadley, you're welcome any time. And hello to fellow tweeter Gay Leroy, and I hope I pronounced your name right. Media Talk is produced, as ever, by the award-winning Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 supports. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.